There's a lot of different vendors out there that we use quite a bit and you want to build the best rapport with them, not only to make sure that you can get the equipment, but you're also might need something in a rush. So the better you treat the vendors, the more apt that they're likely to bend over backwards to get stuff to you. And in film production on a day to day, one minute late of anything could be costly. Hey everyone, welcome to Call Sheet, a podcast about film production and the boots on the ground work of below the line crew. If you work in physical production in any department, this show's for you. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome back, and thanks for listening to Call Sheet. Once again, we're your hosts, Bryce Sirier and Kiku Terasaki. Hey there, Kiku. Howdy. So today on the show, we're bringing back one of our most popular guests, production coordinator Chris Bryant. For those of you who have been with us since the beginning, Chris was our very first guest on episode one. He shared some incredible insights in that episode about the role of the production coordinator from his perspective on studio-level features like Thor, Love and Thunder, Top Gun Maverick, and The Fate of the Furious. With awesome stories from the front lines of his work, Chris talked about his responsibilities and outlooks on leadership, problem-solving, and how to train his team. This time, we brought Chris back to talk about some of the other nitty-gritty details of his job. This episode is part one of that conversation where Chris talks all about how to build rapport with vendors. Whether for equipment, locations, catering, special effects, transportation, you name it, vendors are at the heart of making a movie possible. Chris's role in the production office is crucial for developing and maintaining good relationships with those vendors and making sure things work smoothly. He also shares insights and best practices about rental agreements, insurance, and handling loss and damage. We're really excited to hear what you think of this episode. Without further ado, here is production coordinator Chris Bryant. Today on the show, we're back with production coordinator Chris Bryant. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. So let's talk about equipment rentals. What is your role as production coordinator in communicating with crew and vendors to get the gear orders all set? If you could just sort of take us through that process. Indeed. Uh, you know, as the obvious caveat, we always start out with every production is different. But for the most part, production is handling rentals and expendables for just about every department, except for art. They usually have their own coordinator and they're handling their own stuff. But for camera, camera packages, grip, uh, and electric equipment and expendables, hair and makeups, expendables, uh, you name it. So usually the process is, say for example, it's the camera department. They know exactly what equipment they want, what they need. They're usually have a direct relationship with the vendor for their departmental equipment. They usually work with them. They'll get a quote. They send it to us. Um, that's usually the way that it works. So usually once we get a quote like that, we'll take it to the production supervisor, production manager, and talk about what's budgeted for it. Um, sometimes they'll give me the number. Sometimes they'll just tell me if the quote is too high or too low. Then it's my job to reach out to the vendor and try to negotiate down. If it's something bigger like a camera package, usually that does come from a production supervisor or production manager. Just all depends on their comfortability. Um, uh, one of the big things production has to do is we always have to take the rental agreement to the studio legal team. Uh, the big thing the studio doesn't want to do is be liable for something that's, you know, millions of dollars worth of equipment or something gets lost. So they basically have to comb through these agreements. We do as well. 
we usually have to go back and forth with vendors and their legal team to make sure we're all in agreement. But by the end of the day, we need their equipment. They want to make money. So we usually magically come to some, <laughs> some type of agreement before we roll camera. About looking over the contracts, is there any heads up that you think people should know about or some problem that routinely surfaces or is it generally pretty straightforward? Well, that's the thing. And that's kind of the ease of being in here in LA and the hub is that most of the vendors we use have been used many times by the same right. studio. So that's usually the first question we ask. Do you have a pre-vetted agreement that's been recently used with, you know, whatever studio I'm, I'm at at the time? And usually they do. So that's usually the first standard uh, procedure. But if you're away, not in a film location, then it's more difficult because they're not used to working with the film production not only just with agreements and getting red lines back in their agreements, but also just the speed of which we need stuff. You know, there anytime you call a commercial or residential type of vendor, you know, they're used to, okay, we'll get to it next week. But a lot of right. times in production, right. oh, this just came up. We need this like now. So that's kind of the magic we have to make happen. Sometimes it's dealing with a restaurant in some random place and, Hey, I know it's 6 p.m. I need 150 mils by 8 p.m. This just came up. Can you help us out? But, you know, it's always that knowing in the back of your head, hey, this is a business opportunity that can make these folks a lot of money. And if you approach it like that rather than, hey, I need this and you're going to do that, then clearly, you know, you kind of get what you put out there. So could you speak to that a little more? I think that is hitting on an important principle about relationship and rapport building. Indeed, there's a lot of different vendors out there that we use quite a bit, and you want to build the best rapport with them, not only to make sure that you can get the equipment, but you're also getting it at the price that's needed. Um, sometimes, you know, it's a give and take. If it's a bigger show with a bigger budget and you need more things, sometimes you will pay a little bit of a premium, which sounds counterintuitive, but kind of the cost benefit of that is if you're on a smaller show and they know, okay, this show is smaller, then they'll catch you a bigger deal. Um, it just all depends on, on the vendor, but also a lot of vendors, you know, you might need stuff. Like I just said, uh, in the middle of the night, you might need it next day, something in a rush. So the better you treat the vendors, the more apt that they're likely to bend over backwards to get stuff to you. And we have, I've had, um, people go in cargo planes and, and, you know, be with the equipment just cause they needed to make sure that it got there in time. You know, I've had to get telecommunication equipment shipped over to Columbia within a day and somebody had to carry it in a suitcase because I needed fiber internet, you know, within a day's time. So building up a rapport is important because, you know, you might need to pivot and get something immediately. And if you had these build up with many different vendors, you know, it, it tremendously helps out and it's nice to help them out. You see them get excited. You know, we give them uh, swag and, you know, so they love it. They love helping us out and we love giving them business. So this is slightly different in um, commercials and in indie films. And I did want to ask, do you feel that the vendors look at you, especially on the big studio features as you're the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? Do you think they have a different stance towards you as a renter? I think they do because, you know, they work with me frequently. They know I'm on bigger studio shows, which means to them that it's going to be a longer rental, you know, rather than a small indie, which is going to be probably three months max, you know, in and out. A lot of these things are nine months to a year, sometimes more. So they definitely like to keep that relationship going. Uh, so yeah, it's it's usually beneficial to them. And, and I think it does 
make them more apt to help me just because they know they'll get our business. Chris, do you think it's important for production staff to understand the equipment that's being ordered? You know, camera packages, grip and electric orders, all of that so that you know what's being asked for and that you're conversing. Definitely, because there can be this disconnect from being a production office staff, uh, ordering equipment and actually being on set needing the equipment. And it's a disservice to the departments if we don't know exactly what they need um, because, you know, you can end up ordering the wrong stuff. And sometimes there's big differences and they sound very similar. So I think it's super important to be well versed uh, with the equipment that you're renting. And, you know, sometimes the way to do that is to literally go to the vendor, see the equipment, they'll, they'll demo it for you or go to the department head, ask questions and A, uh, you just get a lot of respect all the way around. Department heads love to see, oh, this person actually wants to learn this equipment and know what's happening. So if there's any issues, they're you know more likely to, to help you out. Um, but yeah, so that being said, I think it's important to teach the production office staff when you can, um, hey, what is this grip equipment? Go take a look at it. Go report back. You know, Do they necessarily need all this stuff? And that's another part of it too. The more you know about the equipment, the more you can speak to budget concerns and try to pinch where you can. Yeah, I want to throw in a little anecdote here and say that it's especially hard when you come from the production office and you're a girl to be seen as somebody who might know about that stuff. So I had the wonderful opportunity to work at Roger Corman's where everything that was in the equipment shed and in the camera room was broken. Um, and so I had to figure out how to put together, you know, a lamp complete and a grip package and where were all the filters and, uh, and you know, all of that stuff. It really was great. Um, I urge every woman who's interested in production at any level to make themselves familiar with their tools of the trade. The other thing is that if you talk to the craftspeople and the vendors, they love to show you new stuff. And... That sort of gives you credibility with them too, right? Do you agree with that? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, there is so much technology constantly coming out. There's so much to learn, uh, you know, and I feel like most people in the business like learning new things. So, yeah, there's constantly new updates, whether if it's camera, grip, ledger, I mean, even makeup. Um, there's just always new things out there to, to learn. So. so what are some common pitfalls or faux pas that you've learned when working with vendors that you know, you'd recommend all production people try to avoid, keep in mind? I think uh, one of it is prioritizing. You know, if you're dealing with the special effects department, if you're on a project that has you know, a lot of explosions and stuff, usually any vendor they're working with is going to have a lot of liability associated with it. So that's something that you're going to want to start out early, get the legal agreement going. Uh, that's one thing. Another thing is just based on location. If you're not in a major film location, Give yourself extra and ample time to set up vendors to find, you know, backup plans and just stress, you know, what you your expectations of them are. I think that's a big thing as well. Here in L.A. or in Atlanta or any other film hub, you kind of take for granted that the vendors you're dealing with know that, hey, you're going to need this today. You're going to need this tomorrow. So it's important to set those expectations and so that everybody's clear. I think that's honestly probably the, the number one thing. I've taken away is just letting them know not only just the need, but the amount and the quantity. And I think one reason I've learned that is very early on, even in film school, 
is dealing with locations and saying, hey, uh, it'll be about four people, you know, a couple cars, a couple pieces of equipment, and not trying to lie, but just not realizing the scope of the next day. Oh, there's grip trucks. There's, a you know, 50 cars here and 30 people, and they're freaking out because uh, I understated it. So you kind of learn, you know, if anything, overstate it. Make sure that everybody's clear of what's going to happen, what you need, uh, and so there's no big surprises. So setting up and pre-communicating and establishing that relationship way in advance is an important part of any successful production. Exactly, because that's the thing. In film production on a day-to-day, you know, one minute late of anything could be costly. You know, if you can get into mill penalties quickly, and that's times the whole crew, you can, you know, set back production. So uh, say you're dealing with the restaurant to deliver lunch. You're in a location where your caterer can't be. You know, you have to make sure... You have backup plans and it's hot food. You know, if it's equipment going to be dropped off that day, you know, is there any way and get it the day before and we're not using it? So can we not go on rental? I guess those are some of the kind of urgencies I, I kind of think about. Something unique about the level of film that you're working on is just the amount of this like specialty equipment drones, helicopters, tons of picture vehicles, etc., um stuff for stunts. Could you talk about working with those types of vendors and how they differ from the more run of the mill camera packages and G&E and things like that? You know, I'd say the big difference is usually we get people that have done projects. That that's kind of the first thing we look at is that they're vendor list from other comparable shows uh just to make sure that they've been through the gamut, they know what to expect. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is just dealing with the paperwork. Depending on the studio you're with, they're going to have some very specific requirements that they need. You know, if it's a helicopter or drone, you're going to need the flight plan. You're going to need a copy of their insurance. You're going to need a copy of their pilot license, questionnaires that they have to fill out, uh, stunt questionnaires. Um, and then all that stuff has to go to the studio risk management team, which I deal with directly. So I'd say that's the big thing with those specialty equipment is there's a lot more risk management involved with it, a lot more insurance paperwork involved with it. But at the end of the day, it's worth it because everybody gets real familiar with what to expect. You know, safety is always the main concern. Um, And so I feel like there's a lot of checks and balances there between production, between the studio and between the vendor. What's a fun anecdote from using that kind of equipment? Got one? Yeah, you know, well, I would say being in Havana for Fate of the Furious was interesting because, you know, we knew it was a challenge to get even a piece of grip equipment and nothing had been shipped in directly. But I remember one day looking up and I have a helicopter buzzing the capital in Havana, you know, a U.S. helicopter with U.S. equipment, military grade equipment. You know, I was like, we got it. We made it. We made it. <laughs> we made it happen. Um, and here I thought we weren't even going to be able to get a camera in. Um, so that's kind of some of the fun challenges of, okay, it's paperwork, but at the end of the day, when you see it all unfold in front of you, you know, you get to see it. Case in point, even watching a film that I've worked on, which I don't do often, uh, that's one of the things I'll look at. You know, I'll, they say you look outside of the screen and you'll think, oh, I remember that day we had all that extras paperwork we had to process. We had, you know, that helicopter that's just right off there off camera we had you know these stunt guys uh, so that's kind of the interesting things to me is uh looking back and although you don't see it on the screen it, it helps make it all happen so and, and that's a payoff that's it's fun 
those memories are burned so deeply into our minds and our souls because of all the work and stress and effort to make it all come to life, right? Exactly. And sometimes it's the opposite. You look at it and you're like, that's it? All of that work for that 10 seconds and they cut away from it? So, you know, sometimes that happens as well. I especially feel that way when I produce commercials. You know, shots are so quick and you think of all the time and money that went into just that little insert. Yeah, exactly. So true. Or when you did 27 takes and they don't use any of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, loss and damage. How much do you have to do with loss and damage given that, say, you crash a helicopter? <laughs> That's very expensive. Yeah, it's all usually done by the production coordinator dealing with all L&D. Um, basically, every day we'll get back any l Well, hopefully not every day you're getting back L&D paperwork, but every day with the morning paperwork, you'll get back any L&Ds that might happen, which is basically just a report. It goes over the basics of what happened, what broke, if it was an accident, if it was lost, if it was stolen, you know, that can happen as well. Then it's up to us to process it. Uh, basically what we would do is find out more info, write a detailed report, reach out to the vendor, get a quote for replacement. And then we deal with risk management of the studio to see if this cost is over the threshold of paying the deductible. If the cost to replace the equipment is below the deductible, you'll just have to eat the cost and pay for it. But if it's over the deductible, then insurance steps in, they'll, they'll pay the cost and then we'll pay the deductible for that. And that's why it's always so important to get the uh, agreements and the certificates of insurance in place before you start going to make sure everything's covered and what the liabilities are. Over the time that I have been in business for just many years, the amount of the deductibles has gone up a great deal. I wondered though whether that is the same for studio features. Are they running? at a minimum of $5,000 on equipment loss and damage? It depends. Usually, roughly, I usually see it about 10000 now. Well, It's pretty high. If it's a big film, they'll do that. Um, you, I would say most of our damages are below that threshold, so a lot of times we'll just have to, you know, eat the cost. You know, I did see a camera body go missing from Panavision, which is quite pricey, but, you know, it was an insurance claim, and they had to pay the deductible, and... But you know, that stuff, that stuff can happen, unfortunately. Would you speak to who on the set is responsible for looking after the equipment and making sure that there's as little loss and damage as possible? Well, I'd say it's up to each department head. If it's camera team, usually it's the loader and the second. Or, you know, you'll have a second that's on the truck and a second that's there on set um, helping taking measurements. But yeah, a lot of times they don't leave their trucks. They're there just dealing with the equipment, making sure, you know, everything's up. And when they're not giving equipment back and forth to set, then they're maintaining the equipment, making sure it's clean, making sure they're doing any kind of maintenance to it. So if it's, you know, the grip department, it might be the key grip that's inventorying every single night, every single piece of equipment they have, or they might delegate that to their best boy. But yes, usually it's up to each department to make sure there's not loss or damage. You know, they have a certain budget and if their equipment is getting lost or damaged, then it's going to reflect on their budget and they want to get hired again. So it's behoove of them to make sure that they're not getting damaged, but it does happen in the nature of things and they just have to notify us uh, the second it does. 
On a studio level project, when issuing COIs to vendors, uh, how does that typically work for you? Are you dealing directly with the studio's insurance agency or do you have like a portal that you can issue COIs that don't require special language? Yeah, exactly. Good question. So usually each studio has their own risk management team and they'll handle everything from certificates of insurance to dealing with cast insurance claims, you know, because you have to get cast exams, all that kind of stuff. So usually we're dealing with them. What they'll do is they'll send us a template. So if it's a standard agreement, we go ahead and type it up and send it out ourselves. If there's any kind of special language on there, then we'll send it off to them and they'll have to, to type it up. But usually the process is before we can ever issue a COI, then the agreement needs to be signed and countersigned. So that's usually the, the process that we go through. Do you mean the vendor agreement or contract has to be signed and countersigned before you fulfill the next step, which is a request for a certificate of insurance. Exactly. So usually what will happen, well, it's kind of a difficult thing and it's been happening more and more. A lot of studios want to use their boilerplate rental agreement, but the vendor, it's their equipment. So they want to use their agreement. So usually it's usually what we do is we approach it with, Hey, we have this boilerplate agreement. Can you guys sign this? And usually they'll say yes, and then they'll say, but we have this agreement. So it's kind of this back and forth. But usually that's where we go to legal and to risk management, you know, and go back and forth. And as production office, we're the middleman. Usually the legal doesn't talk directly to the vendor. So, you know, within there, we end up learning a lot of little legalese and that type of stuff. That's awesome. Chris, is there any other advice and best practices that you'd give for dealing with equipment rentals and vendors? I would just say to, you know, never be afraid to ask for a discount, especially if it's a small show and you don't have a lot of money or if it's a big show, it's always worth to ask, you know, hey, this is quite a bit of equipment. We're going to have it for this amount of time. Can you cut us any kind of deal? You know, and then the more you do it, the more you work with the vendors, the, the more deals you'll get. And I think what's really that's doing is setting yourself up to become a better production supervisor and a production manager when you're actually in charge of the budget and you know what kind of numbers to expect from your team. That concludes part one of our conversation with Chris Bryant. We'll be back next week with part two, all about Chris's role in filling out and keeping track of the set paperwork that comes through the production office. He also shares additional lessons learned from his time in production and invaluable advice for up-and-comers in any department. And that's Taillights on another episode of Call Sheet. This show is brought to you by Elgin Entertainment. It's produced and hosted by Kiku Terasaki and me, Bryce Sirier, with support from our associate producer, Nathaniel Duber. I'm also the editor of the show, and our theme music is by Robert Mai. Our guest today was Chris Bryant. We talked about how to build rapport with vendors, navigating rental agreements and insurance requirements, and how to handle loss and damage. Thanks again, listeners, for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode and keep coming back for more. I'd like to thank everyone who's left us a review for the podcast so far. We recently got an awesome email from a listener named Oliver K. He says, I'm a gaffer in Los Angeles, and I've been really enjoying the episodes that are way outside my wheelhouse. It's awesome how much detail and preparation go into all the other departments. Thanks for creating this podcast. It's a really cool platform to share how this industry works. Well, we love to hear that, Oliver. That's exactly the kind of interdepartmental understanding that we're striving to foster with this podcast. So thank you so much for writing in with that feedback and continuing to be a part of the Call Sheet community. 
Thanks so much to all of you listeners. If you'd like to share what you're getting out of the podcast, you can email us callsheetpodcast at gmail.com or rate and review the podcast in your podcast app. Remember to stay tuned for new episodes of Call Sheet every Thursday morning. And in the meantime, good luck and go make it happen.